Hi, and welcome everybody. This week on Network AF, I'm talking to my friend, former collaborator and uh, former boss, uh, Jordan Lowe. Um, Jordan has uh, runs a company called Deft, and um, uh, we're talking about what's fun in and uh, frustrating in networking nowadays. Jordan, could you give a little bit of a brief intro? Yeah, thank you, Avi, for having me. Excited sure. to, to join you on here. Um, so as you mentioned, I'm the founder and CEO of Deft, which was uh, previously known as Server Central. Um, before that, I was working with a company called Nlayer, which got acquired by what is now GTT, which is a lot of the networking stuff we'll be talking about today, I'm sure. Um, but that's it. You know, I was with uh, you know, Server Central. We've, you know, as we rebranded to Deft now, it's been uh, just over 22 years now. So I've been mostly doing the same thing for quite a while. It's been It's been a lot of fun. Well, it's a little different every year over year, both on the tech and, and business side. Where, where did where did Server Central start? Oh, that's a great question. Start it started in the dorm room. I mean, <laughs> truthfully, it's uh, it's one of those stories that somehow ended in success. You know, I, you know, I uh, yeah, we started with an old courier modem um, at my college apartment. You know, I still remember updating the firmware on that thing um, to mm-hmm. like you know v dot x dot fast or whatever the latest yeah. the latest thing is to get that extra two or three k off the the dial up speed, but. You know, 22 laters, here we are. And it was, you were also doing DNS and, and things like that, you know, overlay. Yeah, service. so, yeah, when the company started, we were doing hosting. We were one of the first people to kind of combine domain names and web hosting into one plan. So we are basically mm-hmm. giving away domain names, which was unheard of at the time. This is back when, uh, you know, Network Solutions was charging $35 a year for a domain name. And uh, we started bundling it in with a, you know, a 5 or $10 a month hosting account. People didn't believe it was true. But uh, that ended, uh, you know, pretty well. A lot of people, we, you know, got thousands and thousands of customers there. And that's uh, kind of what kicked us off into what we are today. We, uh, you know, we kind of wrapped that business up and sold it off in, I think, 2008 or 2009. But that's, uh, you know, that base of customers and those that, that experience is what kind of got us where we are today. Cool. So you benefited from another of uh, my guests and friends, Elliot Noss and OpenSRS and two cows and what they were up to. Absolutely. Yeah, no, that's cool. So you've been running networking for quite some time. I, I want to ask you what year you first got Enable. Um, I think, uh, yeah, for me, it was way too early. It was actually like, you know, in in, in college, uh, late 80s, and I tried not to do too much damage. Um, but, um, you know, things are different, but things are the same. I mean, what what's What's exciting about um, running a network? What's cool about running a network nowadays? Lots of stuff. I, I was just thinking back to when I got, you know, when I first started playing, actually. Like, what was that? I was, you know, it was a little bit earlier. I mean, I was, you know, I think my first computer was like a Lisa, which oh, would wow. have been, you know, what running been the Mac late OS 80s. or running Lisa? Uh, I think it was probably Lisa 2, because I'm a little younger than you. It was probably like 88, 89. Uh-huh. So that would have been the end of the. The first time I used Elisa, Lisa, I demoed Elisa using Lisa. The first time I used Elisa was when it, they, you know, made a Mac clone so they could run like Mac OS. You know, yeah, so. I, I still remember that. It was like a phone cord connecting the mouse. It was, uh, yeah. it's pretty classic. Yeah, then I got like a Mac LC. I think in the early '90s, my first real computer. And, uh-huh. you know, we all remember the first modem, the first, you know, I guess, I guess it wasn't really my first business at Server Central when we started that. It was actually, I guess, I ran a BBS for a little bit way back in the day. I remember having a couple phone lines into my parents' house. Yeah, I mean that was. Uh, that was some, some classic I always stuff wanted to there. do that at home. That was how I got into the ISP side because I had pent up frustration from not running a multi-line BBS, but my, you know, we weren't into it. My parents weren't into it. So when I was growing up. That is funny. Sorry, I apologize. You're asking about, uh, you're asking about, you know, what, what challenges networking has today or, you know, what. Or I, let's start like. on the positive side. I mean, for me, it's just like I turned, I plugged in you know, 100 gig connections. And I was expecting that the heavens to part and, or there to be tons of problems. And instead it was just like, choop, choop, link up, you know, I was like, wow, that was pretty anticlimactic. I mean, you know, it's, it's some ways it's pretty cool what, what's going on with networking today. So I thought I'd it's start awesome. it. Yeah. I mean, you know, I guess I'll open up with us, you know, with us being old, you know, like when we started, things were a lot different, right? Like, you know, to get a T1 or a DS3 was a huge deal. It was very complicated, you know, and it, you know, wasn't that fast, you know, even back then. But I mean, yeah, I mean, having 100 gig stuff just work today. I mean, 400 gig is, you know, there's plenty of carriers out there that can, you can get 400 gig ports today, um, which is 
which is which is crazy and, and yeah it, it does just work now it's a lot you know stuff you know what's the nice thing over time is stuff isn't as complicated it does generally just work mm-hmm. which has taken a lot of pain and a lot of uh you know, i'm sure bugs you know multiple people including us have found over the years to keep this stuff working a little bit better but it is uh it is pretty nice i, I will say things are much easier when it comes to you know adding capacity and, and just general things at the moment it's uh makes a lot of things like DDoS less, less painful. You don't have to worry as much about the stuff as you did back then when anybody could kind of take out. Now mm-hmm. it takes a little, bit, a little bit more energy than it, than it did before. Slightly, slightly sure. a little bit more energy to throw I more mean, than a couple hundred gigs around. Who was I talking with last week? And we were talking about the trick that people used to do who had IRC servers of like buying a, buying a connection from someone you hated and single homing, you know, to IP space from them, your IRC server you know, so that, uh, so that they would get the attacks instead of you. Uh, so it was like early DDoS defense. Yeah. I mean, that, that's actually one of the things that kind of trained us and keeps us on our toes. You know, we've, we've had an IRC server the entire time, basically. Oh, wow. So, uh, you know, we, st- we still run it. It is still up. Um, and it, you know, it, 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 obviously these days doesn't get too many attacks anymore as IRC isn't too exciting after things like, uh, you know, Slack kind of copied and, and maybe we should show IRC to Elon Musk. You know, maybe he wants to, uh, you know, bring back IRC and uh, Usenet, uh, you know, for decentralized future glories. It would work. Still, still out there. I mean, it is, and you know, still decentralized. Um, so, what about you know automation? There's a lot of uh, hype about it, but um, I was uh, talking to some folks that are customers of yours, and you know, they said that uh, you know it's a big part of of doing the design and getting automation and, you know, having stuff up, you know, how does that differ from 20 years ago when you, when you turn someone up with a man at, you know, that has multiple switches and routers and servers and, and stuff. Oh yeah. I mean, it, it's changed pretty wildly. I mean, you know, back in the day, you know, the best you could do was some scripts. Um, but then a lot of the router vendors, you know, we've always been preferential with Juniper, you know, Juniper allowed us to do have a little more flexibility in the early days and kind of load more of the, you know, customer side config into the router as a template. Um, so we were able to kind of make it a lot easier to turn customers up, not having to repeat, you know, 17 commands every time you're adding a new BGP neighbor. But I mean, these days it's a completely different world. You know, it's all, you know, and what, you know, what would be like an Ansible setup or, you know, these Python scripts that really allow us to really do a much more modern job and really not have to lock on the switches at all. Um, not saying it doesn't have its own kind of drawbacks and, and problems, you know, the, you know, the, the generation of people that are used to being on those routers and, and checking things and the process they do is a little bit different than uh, what it is today. So it is easy to miss a couple of things. And you know, we've, we've definitely had our, our own challenges as well. Um, you know, with the automated side, you know, you might not be monitoring the same type of stuff that you were before, you know, so the same kind of things that would kick off a, you know, CLI error, you know, you can write that a CLI error happen. It might not actually work and then you don't know about it. So obviously every time we make a change like that and we learn and, and script around, you know, scripted and, and check it is, and add an error condition, it's, it's programming. One of the big challenges is, you know, like I remember when I was trying to use Brocade for the first time and I was cutting and pasting because it was so close to Cisco and like a whole, they had a thing where every time you made a change, it would say like, yes, I made a change. So I didn't notice that it wasn't actually taking the route maps. And then I turned on BGP with no route maps and became make clueless because, you know, so whether it's CLI or, you know, when you try to automate and do things too fast and then, you know, hopefully the vendors don't change, you know, API response codes. And like we're, we're, we have this as SaaS company, we have the same challenge, right? Which is people build to your APIs that becomes a promise, you know, and in the router world, CLI is a promise, API is a promise, uh, we could move to API if people would just make everything only available or available via API also. And some vendors do better at that, you know, than others. Uh, so, yeah, but I mean, I mean, realistically, you know, all of our new deployments, you know, have, have all been completely automated and it's, it's a very different way to work. And, you know, it's uh, go ahead. So are you at the point where for, you know, I, I know this one deployment wasn't cookie cutter, but you know, for for a reasonable deployment that you're really just getting in via CLI, either to to bootstrap, uh, you know, an IP address or to just check that it feels right at the end. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Generally, and if if, if even that. Um, so again, that's only the newest stuff. I mean, a lot of our, you know, I was I'll say legacy equipment, but you know, it's still all of our a lot of our older stuff is not obviously up to that spec yet. You know, our team is working really hard to get there, and they're doing an awesome job. But I mean, we have, you know, being around for 22 years gives us a lot of, you know, what I guess what we'd call cruft. Um, we have, you know, lots of devices, lots of things that are, do not, you know, 
perfectly aligned with everything else. So, you know, we can't really automate everything yet, but we're working our, you know, as hard as we can to get all the kind of standard stuff moved off and into databases and where we can, you know, really have it all automated. It's great, you know, custom, you know, what, you know, the idea for us obviously allow customers to do a lot more. You know, we've always had a couple of fun things customers could do that were, you know, groundbreaking. We did it, you know, adding, letting customers add their own like null routes or add their own firewall rules. You know, that was cool 10 years ago, but now it's just kind of expected um, to be able to do stuff like that. But, but realistically, you know, a lot of people, have not been exposed to this stuff. I mean, even our customers seeing your product, you know, seeing Kentic, for example, um, it's it's life changing. You know, we we have customers every time you know we show it in our portal demos. You know, it's not something a lot of people offer. It's super yeah. appreciated. It gives them insights and something that they never think about. And it's actually, you know, it's a huge win for something that you know we've obviously coded that when you started the company years ago. Um, people love it, and you know, well, a little stuff that makes a difference. We have to talk with through it with some companies because they're like, wait, but if the customer can see why their links are full, then maybe they won't buy as much. It's like, well, but maybe they'll just be happier and buy more from you. So sort of like the old QoS discussions, if we rate limit that, you know, sell them, sell them as much as we can and hope they use none of it. Um, and that's how we're going to make money. You know, it's just very different from the modern business philosophy of let me make this customer like super enthused and they will go somewhere else and bring us in and they will tell their friends and, they will adopt it widely. You know, it's it's uh, it's sort of doing well by doing good, but you know, brought to the business side, which is pretty cool to see. Yeah, definitely. It's uh, yeah, it's it's been fun, man. I, I you know, network stuff is, is definitely close to my heart, and I I love playing. I, I love getting the latest stuff out there, and you know, it's you know, it's it's a very gentle kind of prodding we have to do to to move stuff along because most of our customers don't want to take an outage to kind of shift platforms or shift. Of deployments because it doesn't change anything for them in the end. Like they're not really getting a big win. We're getting a win, obviously. But you know, we have to say, hey, this is long term, this is for stability, this is to get you on the latest everything. And uh well, you do make sure the greenfield stuff, the new deployments, you know, are, are run that way. Yeah. It is I really would like when I was learning TCP IP, there was still a question in the late 80s about the ISO protocols. And I think the only I don't know if there's anything left, but is is you know from isoland in sort of modern networking but i really in the late 80s again early 90s would have thought that by now the way the internet would be built would be different <laughs> and instead we have we have ipv6 but we also have ipv4 we have bgp version 4 we have you know we still have rip v2 up through and so it's that's a testament that's really awesome um especially as someone that doesn't enjoy doing the you know uh endless protocol meetings and rfc type stuff you know I'm, I'm thrilled that there's people that love itf it's just not for me with my add um but uh no i mean that's that's pretty cool when i look and see well you know we're communicating over zoom and the internet is mostly working and so it's sort of a mystery to me that it hasn't moved but also pretty cool that it that, that it's been able to uh work just going from you know a megabit to a gigabit to pretty soon we'll have terabit interfaces. So, I mean, it was pretty amazing when when COVID started and everyone started doing Zoom and and you know all the different meeting platforms and it generally worked. Mm -hmm. um, obviously, a lot of you know people running around crazy upgrading stuff, but you know on the back of all the consumer networks and I'm sure everyone at Comcast will tell you stories all the networks are saying, oh, we had to do all this stuff and all yeah. the splits and all this stuff, but you know in the end, it got done. It worked. You know, Zoom was able to spin up spin up a ton of servers. You know, they made a couple of small, you know, they did do some things to limit bandwidth, obviously, initially, because, they, you know, didn't, nothing, all, you know, that's a, that was a huge increase. You know, they wanted to limit bandwidth for both their, you know, their, their equipment, Amazon's equipment, I'm not going to say not their bills as well, but, right. you know, they kicked, <laughs> they, they kicked some defaults down to 480p or whatever the, the lower bandwidth rate is. And, but they already had a pretty good platform there. You know, they already did a good job of making all of the speakers' videos spin up to full speed when they were speaking. Everyone else kind of slowed down to a lower bit rate, which is, which was, you know, already existing, which is smart. Our so. customer base, just people had a bunch of over provisioning in place. So, mm -hmm. you know, that was, that was really good. But, yeah. um, so sounds like lifecycle automation, something that you guys have. Um, that is really where we see most of our customers, you know, working towards. Um, and of course, if you can't see it, you know, then that's not really, that's not really helpful. Um, no. I don't, we don't really have any customers doing the magic streaming telemetry, you know, stream 400 gigabits of state from the thing and have magic ML, you know, show you everything that's wrong, but there's a lot that you can do just with, you know, device metrics and of course, traffic and performance and all that. 
Um, so what are the challenges of, you know, running a network? It's much more efficient to run network than it used to be, you know, certainly per bit, but you know, what are the challenges? Yeah. I mean, I mean, just off the bat, you know, lately it's been hardware availability. I mean, that's kind of the <laughs> the big thing, both on the, you know, the, the DWM and optical side uh, and, and topper X switches have been a bit of a challenge. Um, we were lucky enough, you know, our, our team did suggest we place a lot of large orders for both network equipment and, and compute and storage right when this all happened. So that's all been kind of flowing in over the last, you know, year or two, which has been working pretty well. So we haven't had any kind of major issues, but we've definitely delayed a couple upgrades here and there. We definitely have a couple of locations on our network that are a little bit behind. You know, we have some sites running older routers and then we're planned. Um, nothing catastrophic, but I mean, the, you know, hardware wise, you know, it's uh, that's been the biggest challenge really. But I mean, people has been is, has been a challenge. You know, uh, you know, I'm lucky to have a, an awesome team working with. We have a bunch of really great guys, you know, between the operations, automation, you know, platform teams that all kind of, you know, network side, um, it, it's really great. So, you know, we, we've been lucky. We've got a great team. Um, you know, what else? I mean, the stability is obviously always a big challenge today um, with using all these kind of newer protocols we've talked about. Mm-hmm. Um, like, you know, the newer deployments are all like eVPN and, you know, VX, you know VXLAN, um, which are, you know, while they're not that new, they're still new, you know, for things that are 20 years old. So mm-hmm. they're not as stable as all, you know, it, they're not as stable as the old stuff. Um, now that's a pretty small percentage of, of issues, but there's still more issues and bugs on the new stuff than, than there ever was before. So we've got to be very careful about testing, very careful about writing the right, con, you know, mm-hmm. versions of code, all the right stuff, because there are issues. Um, there's still some interoperability issues. There's still, you know, just a, a host of things that we've got to watch out for all the time. So it takes a lot of documentation, a lot of review, a lot of testing, especially on the, the stacks that run the latest and greatest stuff. Which ties back to the people right? Which is, I love it that networking is like, I mean, I hate it and I love it that networking is like physics where you have to like know the first principles and be able to build in your head a model of what the thing is doing in an Einsteinian thought experiment to say, well, is this what it should be doing or is this a bug? Like sometimes just things break and sessions die, but sometimes like routes just don't get advertised. You're like, well, maybe I used it wrong or maybe my script to automate it is, is wrong. It's, it's not as bad as the nineties. Is it when like, you know, you'd stick the fitty card in and sparks would spit out the hissy port and you're like, how could they make the software do that? And it was all one, like one operating system program loader in the old big bad old Cisco days. I, I'm just, I was actually thinking back to my dorm room where we had, we had local talk. Back with the modem. <laughs> so I don't, don't want to get caught up there, but uh, yeah, we had those local talk things. XNS, SNA, local talk. Yes. Yep. Yeah. And that was before that I went to, you know, before, you know, I just remember doing all this stuff over, uh, what was the original coax 10 base two or something or uh what was the original coax well, networks after thick so you weren't doing vampire taps and all that it was just uh-huh. it was just the net i mean it's just yeah. ethernet the net stuff that was but back to the networking challenges uh, you know as you're saying that you know we we have a different you know, we've had a different experience than people coming up you know today you know all, you know the the, the the kids as we call them today coming up with the networking you know they never got the chance to do any of that stuff and a lot of these guys have you know they've grown up writing network as code they've grown up you know starting all you know playing with Amazon as their you know original platform they didn't build the server they didn't build the switch they didn't program it set the IPs and get the serial console working with you know back in the day you know you know trying 14 different USB adapters like we've had to do over the last 10 years um, but I mean, that, that's been a little bit of a challenge, you know, just people, you know, learning the basics that when, when problems do happen, you know, you, you need to kind of think back to how, how it does work. So that can always kind of be fun. Um, you know, obviously, as, as I said, you know, we've, most of our guys are, uh, are awesome and, and have some of that experience, but for the new guys, it's always fun to kind of get them in the lab and, and break something and, and learn how to fix it the first time. Mm-hmm. Um, when it, when it's not something that's running, you know, a lot of people come into a running network. So do you have a lab both for training and for uh, you know, testing new, testing new configs and software and all that. And is it virtual, physical, both? Uh, both. So we have uh, both a physical lab for like, for like, even from like the DWM side, you know, we have like WDM labs with, um, you know, like we have like for testing and training for both our data center operations guys, the guys that are going to patch stuff so they can learn how to do loops and light level testing and cleaning fibers, things like that. Um, and then that stuff goes all through the network labs where we have, you know, basically one of each type of router and switch that we deploy, if not multiple, and we can go ahead and, you know, stage code on there, run upgrades and, you know, link it into the network. 
you know, you know, do traffic tests, stuff like that to make sure everything works properly. Um, and that's, that stuff is, as I mentioned, is more and more important because it's not, you know, before you could kind of get away with just, you know, doing a, doing a shotgun upgrade and these days, you gotta be very sure everything's working correctly and then test yeah. everything very carefully. Yeah. It's just not Hopefully there's some gals among the guys, uh, mm-hmm. you know, at the Fdun, um, yep. as well. But, uh, yeah, I, I, the early nineties, um, I, I think I still have some people that work for me who have trauma. Uh, we used to have a bat light in the office that would go off when I enabled <laughs> and, yep. You know, when I was coming to a pop, I would just pull the UPS, you know, and make sure that it worked. Because if it was going to die, it would be faster if I was there because uh, we were very lean and, you know, a very small org at the time. And so, yeah, I mean, things are things have definitely uh, changed hugely in terms of how we think about that. And, yeah, you know, customers always on. So uh, networking doesn't work. And even the cloud outages, um, you know most storage outages in cloud are really network code or configs or, I mean, everything is sort of layered down. It's not like it isn't the same technology. It's just, you know, weird um, and different names. So yeah. Scaling um, issues, deployment issues or code upgrade issues that break mm-hmm. 17, you know, dependencies to make it all work. I mean, which, people which, learn, learn hard lessons. Yeah. 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 Which do you see as more challenging taking someone that is cloud native in their thinking so they're using peering and tunnels and things like that but maybe not thinking about them as that and then getting into networking and primitives and you know how to live in that hybrid world or sort of the reverse and taking people that have come up on networking and computers and storage and know that stuff but don't know the names and the bugs and the apis and you know don't think program first or git ops first um you know, yeah. which, 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 which is more, what's your approach and which is more challenging? I mean, I, I would say, uh, you know, most of our customers are not super technical. Um, you know, we've got a lot of awesome tech forward companies with, you know, great staffs, but, you know, a lot of our, you know, I would say more enterprise customers or, or just normal customers are not, you know, don't get into the weeds, right. They just expect mm-hmm. it to work. And if, the downside of that is when it works perfectly for years and there is an issue, they're like, you know, they get upset because they got away with not having redundancy, disaster recovery, um, things like that. Where if you have a little blip or a little problem, you know, the the world is ending. Um, so, you know, luckily that doesn't happen very often. But, you know, versus the, you know, the technical customers, I think, understand if, you know, if there's issues or problems a lot more. And it's, you know, we really enjoy talking to them. You know, one of the best things we can do is, you know, when our staff enjoys talking to our customers, you know, when our guys can talk about and geek about stuff all the time and and get into it and talk about challenges and issues and build new cool stuff. I mean, that's really fun for the staff, too. So, truthfully, a good a good mix of that stuff is the best. You know, like we have a you know, bunch of people that are just happy being stable and, and running. And then we have the fun customers we get to talk tech with and build all kinds of new solutions for. So do you have different teams for sort of cloud networking migration versus network ops versus some of the automation and tools side or, you know, we where, do. Where do you um, converge and not? So there's a couple different groups. Um, you know, we, what we separated out, I would say maybe a year or two ago is kind of the, the projects and tooling team from the operations and support guys. Mm-hmm. So that way, you know, before, you know, it would be like the same guys would be kind of trying to do everything, you know, take the support calls, work on the automation, you know, test the next upgrade. The problem is, you know, customer stuff always comes first and they'd get backlogged and we wouldn't get to all the fun projects. We wouldn't get to get everything tested and upgraded in time. Mm-hmm. So we separated all that out, um, which was a good strategy. Now we have kind of three different groups that kind of handle all those different different items. And that way the, the automation guys and tech guys are focused on, you know, new customer turnups, automation, going back and fixing stuff, making sure, you know, for example, some of the automation requires all report descriptions to be the same yep. or exact, right? Mm-hmm. Stuff like that, you know, going through devices that might have been, you know, sitting there untouched for a long time other than software upgrades, just making sure everything's perfect, making sure it's all going to work. Think about all the little stuff and then, you know, tuning all the monitoring. You know, we've got all kinds of different groups for the stuff now, which helps us helps us kind of get through everything a lot better versus just hoping, you know, pushing someone to make time for it. Now it's just their job is to do that part. Yeah, the just to come back to it about automation, that does seem to be the, the real core that everyone needs to have, which is the life cycle when stuff is turned up, turned down. When we onboard, um, you know, it's almost like we have customers that ask us if we can do PS and we're looking for good partners there. You know, when someone comes on board and, you know, they've, they've got 
they want to they want to sort of automate monitoring to follow applications, and we can do that on the Kubernetes side or on the cloud side. But when you have a network full of interface descriptions that are wrong, um, that's uh, you know definitely a heavy lift uh, to get into. And and yeah. uh, but it, it isn't always uh, it isn't always possible to just say, well, just redo it all, you know, greenfield, and then figure it out. And there's yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, just thousands and thousands of you know tens of thousands of interfaces in our case, and you know, we, we've made mistakes, you know, like, you know, for example, like one of the easiest mistakes to make is one of those typos that means customers might not get built, for example, or the customer not get, you know, alerting might not work, monitoring might not work, right? Mm-hmm. So we've, you know, it's, it takes a lot of energy and time to make sure that we have, we, we put checks in for each of these changes to make sure that if there's a port up without a matching description, you know, it does, you know, does something like that. So all those kind of, you know, side cases and corner cases that we catch, that's a, it's a, it's a, it's a lot of work. Yeah. And it's, it's a big job. So, how many about how many people is Deft right now? A uh, hundred and thirty something, I believe. Mm-hmm. So you mentioned you used to own Nlayer. I was there for that, yeah. um, and uh, um, you still so you sold Nlayer, but you still do peering and and run a. Is it global or is it national? You're you're sort of peering in transit network. Uh, you know, global. Yeah. So is that or why why do you do that? <laughs> why not just buy transit? You know, what's what's your what's your view on that? Is it um, you know, automated, it's not a big deal? Is it is it is it for cost, performance, security, availability? Um, all of it. I mean, first of all, you know, a lot of our customers, um, you know, so, so the backbone the backbone portion allows us to do a lot of things. I mean, everything from like on the peering side, obviously peering with you know our big traffic. Uh, big people who send a lot of traffic, you know, in the US, for example, like Comcast, you know, so we have you know, multiple hundred gigs with Comcast in each market. If there is an, an issue with Comcast in one market or they have a router maintenance, you know, or, or some sort of issue, you know, having the backbone allows us to send that traffic to another city, you know, kind of route around the issue, you know, pull that traffic from Chicago at Ashburn, send it out in Ashburn so everything kind of stays smooth for our customers. Um, the other big part of it is disaster recovery and, and you know, DR between the locations, you know, having a backbone allows us to move IP addresses around the network. Mm-hmm. So if we have a customer that's got, uh, you know, an active active setup, we can actually automatically move IPs between markets. So, you know, as part of, you know, well, for example, we normally do like quarterly DR tests with our customers. Mm-hmm. We can, you know, flip from active to passive and from Chicago to California, for example, and move the IPs across, um, which for some legacy people and for, for some systems is a little bit, you know, it's, it's I don't want to say it's the, the most modern way of doing failover and application uh, stuff, but it's a really good way for a lot of uh, applications that are a little bit older to have just you know the, everything keeps running on the VMs, and you just point you know the public the public IPs change. Mm-hmm. Um, sorry, the public IPs stay the same and just get moved across the market. Right. Yeah. So that's that's a fun thing, and uh, also um, allows us to do MPLS networks, things like that for our customers. We have a lot of customers that we interconnect offices around the world. Um, you know, so they might have an office in London, an office in Ashburn, an office in Dallas, and we'll be able to link all those back to the same backbone. And us running our own backbone allows us to kind of fully control that. You know, it's like control your own destiny stuff where we see the backbone, we can tell if there's an issue or an outage, we can do the routing ourselves, we can do the quality control, mm-hmm. we can make sure stuff is scaled properly. Um, you know, it just allows us to see everything and makes the, you know, the any issues a lot faster to troubleshoot yeah. versus trying to call into one of the carriers and wait on hold and hopefully stuff gets fixed. So, yeah, I use the word control there, you know, to be able mm-hmm. to... Um, to be able to control the packet destiny, you know, I guess that we see that also, you know, it's a big thing. Is is peering set up uh, mostly automated now in your lifecycle stuff? Or uh, I'm not sure. Actually, that's, that's a good question. I know we don't do a ton of public peering at the moment. It's, okay. You know, the the peering world goes through kind of a. There's two parts of it, as as you surely know, is is both the price and the size of the ports on the peering changes. Um, so the our cash fly brand, you know, the, the CDN side does peer in all the markets, um, obviously extensively, and we interconnect with them in some markets as well. Mm-hmm. But you know, on, on the deft side, we do peer in certain markets, but most of our peering is kind of private peering with like the Amazons or or people like that. You know, obviously we're not supposed to talk about who we interconnect with, yeah. but uh most of our peering at the moment is private caring. We are on some of the exchanges. Um, but it's one of those things where there's a couple business cases behind it, both the cost of the ports and the cost of transit. Um, depending on those two things, it, it kind of incents you to either do peering or not do peering. And, you know, right now on the cycle of things, we're currently in the, doesn't make a ton of sense to do a huge amount of peering right now. Um, traditionally, I, I would be on the other side of that, right? Like traditionally, the transit was more expensive and it was faster right. and better to do all the peering. So right now we do peering where we need to. 
Um, but most of our stuff goes out over, you know, over, we have multiple, obviously different transit providers in each market. And, uh, you know, it's, it's a little bit easier. Right. Um, or if the CDN was a core in-house, uh, you know, core in-house product, then you know, it would be different. So, so people don't yell at you to stop playing with the routers anymore. Correct. <laughs> yeah. I am not in the routers too much anymore. You know, it's, it's a pretty unusual. I'm in there, which is uh, which everyone will probably tell you is a good thing, but I definitely can get in there and, uh, I know enough to be dangerous still. But, uh, you know, all the latest, you know, MPLS automation stuff is mm-hmm. people, people better than me are handling that now. I've got to uh, go down. So I'm going to ITW in a few weeks and mm-hmm. then I probably won't get to appearing for him after that. But um, I, I threw in a couple of restos and it's time to get uh, the 20 year old cat two, you know, <laughs> Super 723BXL uh, out of there. With filtered slash twenty fours, so I don't to break anything. That is not our production network. That is our lab network, by the way. Um, they do not. It's not they don't let me use the production network, but they're really again. There's 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 no need for me to be on our production network. It's yeah. it's automated push uh, everything. There's no, you know, CLI is only for super debug. So I don't know if you can see the shock in my face for you to even say you still have a super seven twenty running, but that is yes impressive, sir. Up. Five years. Uh, no, it works okay. I mean, then again, the Aristas I'm doing, they have something called selective selective advertisement. So basically a route map between the, the fib and the rib. So um, I um, we have a bunch of customers that use that. So I'm looking forward to playing with some performance-based and you know um, selective, selective advertisements for people that want to use, especially given the equipment shortages, older stuff as edge is edge mm-hmm. devices, you know, that's a specialty that they've had for some time. So, yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's what anyway, we've, you know, in my, in my days, I've definitely done that on multiple platforms, you know, having to kind of see, okay, we're running out of fib space. We got to start, start limiting a few things. Yeah. Um, you yeah. know, especially these days with the, you know, again, we don't have anything in our core that obviously we need that, but we, there's definitely devices out there that can't, you know, the, the amount of yeah. routes out there now is insane. You know, everyone's had to find every 24, they can find under every carpet. And, you know, like the number of routes is just, well, we'll I, have every a, time I see it, it's unbelievable. I don't want to call it a debate, but maybe a real talk on V4 versus V6. At some point, I'll invite you on and we can talk yeah. about that. I have been surprised that the routing <laughs> table hasn't blown up more, um, you know, until there's someone that, someone major that says, I'm only going to be reachable by V6 or, you know, eyeballs or, or other, or content. Um, you know, it's, we're just going to be living this, continue to live in this dual home world, which, you know, seems like it's going to continue for some time. So, you know, I think that would be a great show. And yeah, I don't want to, uh, you know, yeah, we'll do one on that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that would be entertaining. Yeah. I absolutely agree. You know, like, I don't know anyone that could give anybody a business case to say turn off before, unfortunately. I mean, it would obviously be great, but realistically, we're still, as, as we've all been saying, we're years and years away from. It's just topical because uh, the Danog thread about, using 240 and reminded me of when I was on the Aaron advisory council, you know, IPV8 and Jim Fleming and <laughs> jumping through a wormhole and peering with Uranus and, uh, you know, it's like, I, I don't know, uh, but yeah, problems. So, uh, so what, what is new and emerging and hot and, you know, interesting, you know, as you think about the next few years, what are you looking forward, looking forward to see coming down the road on, the networking and the tech side and the business side also. Yeah, I mean, networking and tech, um, the, you know, there's a lot of cool stuff coming out networking wise, especially on the, you know, on the optical side. There's a couple of new things that'll make it a little bit easier to do what we do on kind of what, what they've branded DCI, data center interconnect. Um, as you can imagine, you know, we, we have a lot of uh, circuits between data centers and between- Oh, is this you know, like robots or glimmer glass and, and, and electronical tuna, electronic tuna, tunable prisms or what is it? Uh, no, I mean, just, just the integration between platforms, um, I think will be a lot easier. And also the, the platforms themselves, there's all these kind of, you know, I don't want to get too far into the optical side, but, you know, there, there's all different systems that, that should work together that sort of work together, but don't really work together in mm-hmm. between all the major vendors. Um, It'd be nice if that worked together, worked better. And there's a couple of proposals out there and things that seem to be happening that will make that a lot easier, um, which would be nice. And you can just kind of, you know, right now, most systems, if you want like a 10 gig and a one gig and a, you know, 40 gig and 100 gig, it's not that easy just to plug all those things in the same box. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's some new stuff coming out that's going to make that a lot easier, 
hopefully. So we'll see when that comes out. I mean, again, it's still a couple of years out. That'll be, that'll be nice. You know, if we can, you know, that way we can just plug in a, you know, a 10 gig and a hundred gig and a 40 gig for a customer. And we don't have to have a different type of card, different everything. Um, you so know, you're using reading. more, not things that are not just passive prisms, muxes. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. So okay. almost all the stuff we do now is active, active, okay. you know, carrier grade optical gear. Mm -hmm. And a lot of that stuff is kind of split up into, you know, 100 gig. I see. So that's more fixed because yeah. on the on the routers and switches, they don't really care. Uh, and the the passive stuff doesn't care that much. Um, yeah, there are there are some changes on the passive side, just the sizes of channels for stuff. You know, the mm -hmm. traditional stuff is all, the, you know, the 100 gigahertz band. Um, obviously, mm -hmm. there's people that are much more expert than me at the stuff that would be happy to chat about it. But yeah. um, there's some changes coming there where there'll be a little bit more. Uh, mm -hmm. You know, I've always liked the idea of, of I guess, what you call alien wavelengths or, or buying, you know, a spectrum instead of waves. Mm -hmm. um, some of the stuff I think will be enabling that a lot more as long as the carriers go along with it. And that way you can have less things to break in between everybody, which mm -hmm. makes things more reliable. Less cards, is, especially right now, be, would be easier. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, on the network side, I mean, you know, I, I'm excited, you know, as, as time goes on, more people kind of get into the more, you know, more of the, I guess what I call SDN, you know, that more, more of that becomes reality, which is, which is great. You know, when, when it's working, when it's stable, it's awesome. You know, as, as most things, when it breaks, it's, it can be a little bit harder to troubleshoot. Um, you know, so I'm hoping that gets a little bit better as well. I don't know who originally said it, but it was Russ White who quoted it to me. He said, uh, automation does not mean simplicity. I mean, it's it's it can be simple to consume, but when it breaks, yeah, it's it's tough. What about uh, what about hype? I have my list, but what, what do you see that you just sort of groan and you go, oh, architecture? Um, you know, I, I groaned a lot about, um, I guess I get more like what's the SD? What are they calling SDN? Uh, SD WAN type stuff. I complained about that for, for a while, but I think it's it's getting to the point where it's, it's pretty cool and working, you know, now that the underlying network can support it more. Mm -hmm. um, so I would normally groan about some of the SDN stuff going on there. I'm sorry, not SDN, but SD-WAN. Mm -hmm. I know it says five different names, depending on who you're talking to about it. Sassy now, you know. It's... Yep. Yep. I mean, it is, uh, you know, it is it is useful in the right spot now. I don't know. You know there's, there's a lot. There's a lot it going on. It's always all tough for me to figure out like what's a box what's a service well like it's all cloud provision okay but like mm -hmm. who runs a backbone who doesn't what requires like what is basically like a mushroom multi-homing box versus whatever and so you know obviously with kentec we get to see our some all our customers across the customer base we have some of everything and we bias towards the things that have great telemetry um especially if they can peek into the the performance side uh but you know we'll work with anything that isn't closed but um we still see a lot of confusion on the customer side about what is the actual difference. Uh, and you have to like go talk to actual people because the marketing talks about value as, as one, as it does in enterprise, it talks about value and problem solved and not really the technology. So it can be hard. Yeah. To I mean, well, what happens is they go out there to these offices that have, you know, on the, on, let's just say on the, on the SD WAN side, they go out to offices that have, you know, they have a gig circuit from AT&T, gig circuit from Verizon, both private MPLS that cost $5,000 each. They say, hey, you just got it. You know, you get a one gig from AT and T and one gig internet from both these guys. And you know, my mind, your mind goes first. Okay, how's that going to work? Is it going to be, you know, is the MTU going to be too small? How's the performance? How's it going to fail over? Yeah, you know, magic. Cloud and, and it just works. Yeah. And and what you know, I guess what I didn't think about some of the stuff, you know, is is now that the the you can do it now. Like you know, like not it's it's not the way it was. You know, I think with the encoding and the the way they can, there's enough CPU now in these boxes to to shove it all through and for it to work properly. Mm -hmm. um, there were definitely some limitations when it first came out and we would run into them pretty hard. Um, but these days I'm, you know, it's kind of cool. And I think it's, I think it's neat, especially, you know, there's been this round of, um, pretty major price drops in kind of the, the corporate and you know, business internet circuits from the major players these days. So, you know, you can get internet in a lot of buildings now for not what you can get it for at home, but, but close. And it makes that make a lot of sense, especially with the, all these offices that, are mostly empty these days so it's a, yes. it's a nice cost it's a nice cost savings option and it makes it easier to manage as well so mm -hmm. something that uh something that i've been kind of excited and i think about. it's it's definitely a practical application of you know automation just mm -hmm. as number one sdn thing is probably vmware you know mm -hmm. uh so uh it's deployed works pretty well but 
it's not trying to do anything super complicated. Um, so um, yeah. it took them a lot of tries. I mean, it took them a lot of tries to get it working right with VXLAN and all the you know all the networking. And mm-hmm. I'm sure you know. I mean, they've had many versions of their SDN on the on the horizon. But yeah, I mean, these days it does work uh, quite well. We do a fair amount of it as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's just you know Google started the idea of program everything and just like with streaming telemetry and just like with automation, it can be easy to read the marketing and think that everybody is fully automated, no network people anywhere. Uh, you know, the network self heals, everything is self-driving or closed loop or whatever. And in yep. reality, what you're talking about life cycle, um, you know, some of the SD-WAN stuff, um, some of the, in the data center stuff, that's where, you know, we see the real automation and um, yeah, you still need, you still need people who are involved in design and and setting it up and designing it with observability in mind and um yep. yeah life is better but uh you know still work to do which to me that's exciting um yeah because yeah i mean if that's off you pop that box in all these places and it shoots back to places like you guys to make sure the performance is there everybody's happy i mean there's a lot of there's a lot of cool you know the cool thing i've been i've been monitoring is um you know, on the, on the hardware side, on the server side for us and server deployments, you know, so we do a fair amount of, you know, medium size, uh, you know, server deployments for our customers, you know, that, that like to build these, um, you know, I guess what we call large, large private clouds um, mm-hmm. to either, you know, the, a lot of our customers, you know, they basically kind of run their steady state Dozens load. to hundreds of machines. Yeah. Yeah. So they run kind of their steady state load in the data center and they put the burst stuff all in the clouds, which is absolutely a great way to do it. Um, what, you know, the challenge, some of that stuff is always kind of the deployment management monitoring of all those hardware boxes. Um, there's lots of solutions out there that are good, but there's nothing that's that's great. And and what's happened recently is you know some of these uh, hardware-based solutions. There's you know there's now some PCI cards you can pop into those machines that handle a lot of the security and deployment and monitoring and backend stuff. Um, it's the same type of stuff that that's in AWS and Azure. Um, the way you know they do it, you know they've done. Obviously, you guys, have, I'm sure you've seen the the presentations on them, but they have the cards that handle all the encryption, security, storage. You know, it's just a PCI card that pops in the server. Um, having that available to the rest of the to the rest of us, um, I think, is going to be pretty cool in the coming. Does year. that add to the complexity of the system that there's abstraction from the computer perspective? Does it make it harder to bug, or does it make it more efficient, or does it actually make it easier, you know, to design and operate? I mean, I, I would hope in the end it makes it easier. Um, I mean, yeah, right now it's a new thing, a new layer, a new system, another platform you've got to deal with, but it does replace enough other platforms that I think it can make it easier uh, long term. Okay. I've been following it too, and and we definitely have we have a few customers, even among our our big CDN customers, most of them don't use you know SmartNext, but um, you know there's definitely a lot of chatter about disaggregating, aggregating, hyperconverging, hyperconverging versus disaggregating <laughs> as an architecture, and uh, you know for us we get pitched and it's like computers are pretty damn fast nowadays, and again we're a SaaS company, we're not. You know, we have big data on the back end, but even that's fine for that. And we try to, yeah. you know, do the compute on the uh, near the storage at least. So if not on, so um, you know, what about it? you're making me think about something. I mean, so you know, what what we've we've got two customers now doing some pretty, you know, innovative GPU stuff, uh-huh. um, which is always entertaining. Um, you know, for GPU us, you know, for me stuff. I uh, no, just just okay. high end. You know, just racks full of GPUs that are. Power draws in the you know in in the ridiculous numbers. Um, yeah, we got servers you know doing you know eight kW each, um, which is kind of entertaining. Wait, wait, wait. Wait. A server doing eight kW each. So you're, yeah. you're doing immersive cooling. Like, what's your maximum density for those cabinets? Um, that's a that's a good question. I think we've got we definitely have a couple in the forties that are still doing air, but they you know we're we're, we're probably limited. I think around forties you know uh-huh. without and we can put the the backs on the cabinets with the water cooling. Uh-huh. Is the easiest to kind of handle that. That way, you just kind of cool the rack as the air comes out. They're they're loud. I'm not going to lie. I mean, there's there's some there's some turbo fans going on in there. Um, yeah, I mean, these are all mostly available, mostly commercially available servers. You can get out there with it, put a bunch of those new um, A100, whatever the new GPUs are in there. Mm-hmm. But you get these boxes that have, I think, eight of those, and yeah, they're 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 up there. They're 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 cranking the power. But what I was getting at though, the the cool thing that a lot of people are doing now, we have another um, one of those guys is testing something right now that kind of disaggregates all that stuff. So they're disaggregating the GPUs from the storage, from the RAM even. So mm-hmm. you can basically go and allocate, you know, this GPU and this much RAM and this much storage all over, you know, some, it's, it's probably Infiniman or something, some funky yeah. network. It's super fast. Um, 
But that's actually really interesting to uh, quite a few of our customers. So I'm excited to see that stuff working. Yeah, I've seen the people have been talking about it for a long time, but you know, our peers are more SaaS companies. We don't see them using it. The InfiniBand, you know, there's been this promise of InfiniBand switching, not not SAN per se, but mm-hmm. all oriented at this disaggregation and virtual computers and stuff. And I guess you could put GPUs on it, um, you know, but one of the issues with GPUs is always how do you get enough data in fast enough? So yeah, this, well, uh, it's yeah. another area I look it's, forward to learning more about. It's 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 cool to see yeah. uh, cool to see the innovation. Um, what about Edge? Is that is that is that hot hype or both? Oh, you know, are your question. customers taking advantage? So it done right, you know, in the right place with the right people with the right location. It, it depends how how far to the edge you're talking about. You know, so I will uh, tell you that I think there's plenty of applications that can take advantage of edges in metro, you know, metro areas, you know, similar, you know, following a pretty standard CDN deployment. Yeah. I, I don't think going past that makes any sense anytime soon. Um, you know, I'll, I'll, I will, let's talk about 5G for a minute. You know, 5G is supposed to take the, you know, the, the internet from being at, you know, one data center in, the, in each city or one data center in another city, you know, that internet edge moving from that data center, that core, you know, almost out to the tower. Um, I, I don't know if there's a huge amount of apps and stuff and, and, and use for that at this point. Yeah. Um, this, this could be a, this obviously will be another call. And the, you know, it's one of those things where I'd look back at this video in five years and be, man, I was an idiot. But I mean, right now I, I can't think of a ton of apps that would make a huge difference being computed at, you know, that would take care of that, you know, that would that last millisecond or two. Yeah. But even there, is one. You know, having 10,000 cities and 200 places per city is something that would be hard to coordinate even for our most sophisticated, uh, you know, our most sophisticated customers. But yeah, we'll yep. see. We'll see. We'll definitely see where that goes. The good part about that is cloud native architecture being able to deploy at one. It's the coordination and telemetry and management and monitoring and state that's hard. That, that's there. Yeah. At least we've got the other stuff, you know, which is running it in a standard way. It's just OpenStack and OVFs and all the ways that people were, OV, you know, OVAs, OVFs, whatever, you know, like you, yes, you could package up a VM, but how do you, how do you turn it on, turn it off, hook it to stuff? Kubernetes is a massively complex beast, but at least with yep. Kubernetes, whether it's one location or 400 locations in a place, um, we, we're starting to have a link with Franca there, which I think will be beneficial, um, whether it's just someone running, you know, off stuff in their network at the edge, or you know, eventually letting letting people deploy third party stuff, you know, out near the near the tower. So that's pretty cool. Yeah, I mean, you can see. I mean, the one thing that that's been doing better is kind of the, the cloud gaming. You know, cloud gaming. I'm not saying there's a huge amount of adoption, but like that's something that that's been working better, right? You know, they, with the advent of a lot of people in these big metro areas having fiber to their home, and they, they are a couple of milliseconds away from these data centers now. And that's starting to work. But I don't know if that scale is ever going to make sense to install servers, compute for that in the middle of... Well, it's like, it's like IPv6, I think. And again, I don't want to imply that I'm down on an edge and where things are going. Again, it's, it's driving architecture in a great way. But when IPv6 was initially sold, it was... Oh well, it gives you security you don't get it with IPv4. It gives you routing scalability you don't get with IPv4. It gives you QoS. None of those were true, and so people were like, "Well, what's going on here?" And I think some of the first applications were like, "Oh well, self-driving cars need it." And it's like, "Well, not really, but maybe something do. does." And again, I, I look <laughs> they at do. It I'm not ready, going in it. <laughs> I was like, "Ready Player One," or you know, and now we've got Meta, right? You know, I mean, if we really wanted to do that. Again, hard computer science problems still to solve, but you know we will see. Yeah, I mean, I guess I mean backing up into what we'll take advantage of it. I mean, I think some people right now are deploying code. Like right now, I mean, what percent of sites are really optimized for edge at all right now? Right, most sites are still have there's still some database somewhere in some city that you're waiting for that database to confirm something before it comes back to you, no matter what it is. And, there's and a lot edge of cool ML, yeah. edge ML is a case because you know people are trying to build very lightweight composable, meaning that you can do the work distributed and, and add it up. And then, you know, you got some stuff where power is cheap at the edge and more clean. So there are some applications where maybe you don't need it, but maybe it's better for the planet to run it distributed. Yeah. Um, you know, there, there, again, lots of 
to me, it's awesome that things are changing because, you know, who wants to get bored creates a lot of opportunities to, you know, start yeah. companies. Yeah. It just application wise, like, I mean, right now people need to take advantage of what's even available at the moment, right? Like, you know, we've got, you know, great people, you know, fly.io, for example, you know, they're one of the people that are doing enabling a lot of people to do kind of stuff on the edge without doing too much work on the application, but like allowing that stuff to work and these new data, you know, like cockroach TV, for example, like these, there's a lot of technology out there that people are just starting to adopt now that allows you to do kind of creative stuff and, you know, localized database that will, that will work on the edge. Um, and that yeah. stuff is, that stuff is pretty cool. And I think just using that's all, that's all available today, right? Like today you can go from being in one data center, two data centers, like a primary NDR to actually having much better application performance at the edge, yeah. which, you know, with the advent today of everyone being on mobile all day, it does make a big difference. Yeah, and just getting yeah. just getting in the right city is is half the battle. I think the last where I'll you know where I will argue is you know going from you know Chicago for example, like being at one you know you know five miles away. You know, does it really need? Does it really matter if it's in three fifty Cermak or if it's you know ten miles closer to me? Uh, you know, that's going to be a hard argument to win at yeah. the moment. Right, or it's just how would you be the management challenge of fifty per city versus just having fifty cities or two times fifty cities? You know, yeah. is, is yep. the side. So speaking about what else is cool, um, you're in Chicago, um, and uh, I assume you're a promoter for fair for your fair city. Um, any restaurant recommendations for people that uh, come to town? Ooh, that's a that's a great question. Let's start um, with what's your favorite place in Greek Town? You know, I'm a traditionalist in Greek Town. I mean, I'm, I'm I really like the Greek Isles um, just because it's it's big it's been there forever they're very reliable and i really appreciate a, a place you can go to and it's going to be good every time um you know a lot of stuff has changed you know with covid you know we lost a lot of great restaurants we you know a lot of things have have uh i wonder if my meat is still there at fogo you know the, the yeah i mean truthfully you know chicago being you know the the very blue city we are it's like we're, we're definitely we're, we're just kind of getting going now right like you know i i was just telling you i've only you know i've only been out to a couple of restaurants here um in the last few months, you know, me having a couple of small kids doesn't, doesn't help the yeah. situation, yeah. but, uh, you know, I, I'm, uh, I'm excited to get back out on the town to tell you the truth. So I don't, I, I think I have to do a re a retasting basically. I think I need to go yeah. back out to all my favorites and, and try some new ones. Um, cause I don't, I don't, I don't think I have a great answer for that question. yet. I don't even know if Q is still there. We need to check. Well, uh, for any listeners that are into science fiction, the world science fiction convention is in Chicago this year, um, September, I think first to the fifth. And uh, we will be uh, sampling food for any science fiction or network nerds uh, that come to town then. Yeah, uh, come so, join us. Yeah. So how, how can people find you, Jordan and, and, and uh, Deft? Thanks. Jordan at Deft.com. Okay. That's, that's the easiest. Okay. Well, um, I am uh, Avi Friedman. Uh, I am Avi Friedman on Twitter and LinkedIn and Avi at Kentik.com. And Kentik is K-E-N-T-I-K. Um, and uh, Jordan is Jordan at deft.com. And thanks everybody for joining for this episode of Network AF. And maybe uh, we'll uh, we'll have a, a network community uh, dinner when uh, Worldcon is on this summer. Oh, yeah, thanks everyone.